0: Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention-grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now, here we go. No one's just happy with
1: the current state of restaurant technology, and they're all trying to create their own apps because they know they can't rely on the way the sort of aggregator ecosystem is working right now. That's not like the end state of things, they can't be. So, yeah, so certainly COVID caused us to revisit some of our assumptions, and I think we're coming out with a much better value proposition for restaurants than we had before.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. We've spent the last 15 months together, questioning every assumption about this industry, What I've learned from more than 100 interviews is that a 6% net profit doesn't need to be the standard. I've collected the best practices from the best operators in the world and created a guide detailing the five steps they've all taken to achieve a 15% net profit in their restaurants. You can download that guide for free by visiting restaurantprofitguide.com. Again, that's restaurantprofitguide.com. Have you chosen your customers or have they chosen you? In an effort to achieve profitability, many of us refuse to clearly state who is and who is not our target customer. Kevin Tan of Snackpass chose a different path. In having a maniacal focus on his target customer, he's built a platform that's grown to over half a million users in just a couple of years. What's his revolutionary idea? Skipping the line at restaurants. Today, we talk about why such a simple solution has gone viral and how we can use that same strategy to create virility in our own restaurants.
1: So MacPass is social checkout for restaurants, and we're moving the future of the in-store experience to mobile and personalized for the consumer and ultimately more control and driving business for for the merchant as well. It started out on kind of canonical story. I was in my dorm room as a senior in college, and my friends would order out all the time. And I was trying to think of a something I could make for my friends that they would use and be kind of a no-brainer. So I made an app where you can skip the line and and save money. You know, log in with your .edu email and get some deals. And what really struck us in the beginning was that there are two big insights. The first was that people came for those deals, but they stayed for the convenience of skipping the line and basically the entire workflow of having the cashier and manual like synchronous order taking was being completely leapfrogged so that was really interesting and then the second big insight was that when we made it from a utility to a social product so basically in the beginning it was just a way to order for yourself we wanted it to grow and we wanted it to be something that everyone used and we saw the growth of like a facebook or a tinder on campuses. And just that viral growth and we wanted to tap into that and we thought what if you could do that but with a e-commerce product you know with a product that people are using to buying stuff wouldn't that be amazing we had reward points at the time that you were yourself and then it kind of clicked so we asked question what if you don't just get one for yourself but you get to send one to a friend and then you can basically make every purchase a referral right it's great for the merchant too and that's the second insight that makes snack pass what it was and that fall when we launched. It just blew up, and everybody on the campus started using StackPass. We've kind of—it's been that same core product since for the consumer side. So, yeah, that's how we started and how it took off.
0: In the early days, when you were going door to door trying to get restaurants to try the platform, what did you learn about the industry that you didn't know before?
1: There was a ton, but it was really interesting in the beginning. I actually was pretty good friends with one of the restaurant owners of Brick Oven Pizza. So I made a website for him, actually. And that's how I kind of had the relationship and had a little bit of experience in, in sort of what the problems and, and challenges are. I would worked with Deer and a few of these restaurant owners, but it's like number one is just creating a great customer experience. Number two is just how kind of hectic everything is. And there's always like some fires to put out. And some of these restaurant owners, some of the iconic restaurants, like the owner is still in the store every day running the ship and that's why one location can be special. You know, just one restaurant in Cambridge called Felipe's and the Chipotle went out of business. Have you ever heard of a Chipotle going out of business? But it's uh, because every location is hard to reproduce and has that sort of like really special quality to it. You know, food is definitely not a commodity, like inelasticity for like your favorite burrito, right, can be so powerful. So I really think that the Tommy like restaurants is a local business and Each restaurant we believe is like a creator, right? Like they have an audience, they're not a commodity and they have an audience kind of following a special product, which is really interesting tying back today where you do see a lot of commodification by like delivery platforms. And part of what we're doing is sort of like giving these local creators, these local restaurant owners a way to own their own audience and take back some of those economics too.
0: What I want to talk about next is something that I think is really, really relevant to the restaurant industry and speaks to uh, one of the reasons I think Snack Pass has been so successful, which is the definition of hospitality and service in this moment for the next generation is changing. And rather than an experience that is one to one and high touch and high contact, which used to be what hospitality was defined as, has changed. For your generation, it's expedience, right? It's the best service is the fastest service, is the most efficient service, right? Well, it's interesting. I think there's a
1: sort of connotation sometimes with equating the experience of talking to like a cashier with great personalized customer service because that's where sort of the human connection is. But if you think about like 99% of that experience for the consumer it's kind of like dehumanizing a little bit because this person is just taking orders as opposed to doing things that only like a human can do. So I think the customer experience, that personalized experience is really important, but there's other ways to do it besides these outdated workflows where you have someone just standing in line and punching in orders. I really think that's gonna change in five years and a lot of restaurants are gonna be cashierless. but at the same time, these restaurants are gonna have much more personalized relationships with their customers we see the writing on the wall, and that's one of the things we're pushing is giving restaurants a way to turn all those anonymous customer walking the door into customers that they can engage even after they've left the store. And whether that's like through loyalty and through being able to talk to them on their phones after they've left the store, I definitely think it's a hospitality business and a service business. And there's ways to do that in the post-COVID like digital era.
0: When the world was focused on the convenience of delivery, which existed prior to the pandemic, You made the decision to focus on pickup, which seems somewhat counterintuitive, seems somewhat less convenient than simply the food arriving at the door. Where did that come from? And was there any fear or apprehension that you were barking up the wrong tree at the wrong time?
1: Well, we thought that the delivery problem was being solved by plenty of people. I don't think it's not a service that should be provided. It definitely is useful in many uses. Like if you're in a hurry, or you can't go anywhere like there's definitely a many use cases where delivery is important, but there's so many players in the space and they're doing a good job or I mean as good of a job as you can like there's kind of questions around whether the unit economics even makes sense but whereas in the pickup space and just being taking order, there was no one working on that, and it's not and the players well maybe there were a few players, but it didn't really go mainstream it didn't really take off, and there are a lot of problems that we found that you have to go a little bit deeper you have to. Make the customer experience really great. Sometimes if a restaurant isn't used to mobile ordering, like it just won't be a great customer experience. It won't be super seamless, you might get deprioritized. And it just wasn't happening. So we said, this is the problem we're going to solve. And there's a huge opportunity for both the merchant and the consumer. For the consumer, like how much time do you waste? How many times have you gone to a restaurant and you say, I'm not going to order there, the line's too long.
0: Right, for sure.
1: And then on the restaurant side too, like their bottom line is so important. It's so sensitive, to costs, like why are they spending so much on cashiers or or can they even hire in this labor market right now? So it's just a huge problem and I think we were best equipped to focus on it. That kind of brings to the point you're talking about just like focusing and, and picking one problem, doing it really well. You know, that's what we're trying to do.
0: You were a college student when you started the company or at least conceptualized the company and it was born on college campuses and has grown on college campuses, which, I would assume that the pandemic really helped because there was a huge uptick in pickup business. But on the other side of that, I mean, college was redefined for the last and still to this day, we see that the college students aren't participating in school in the way that they once did due to the pandemic restrictions. What do your pandemic pivots look like?
1: There was definitely a period of time where it was like super scary. People on the news would ask, like, are colleges going to, be around after the pandemic, right? At this height, a lot of people were making speculations, but it was definitely a tough time for restaurants. And even if they were doing delivery and pick up like, where they, could they keep the doors open? And that moment actually really caused us to sort of pause and ask the question, like, what can we do to help these restaurants keep the doors open? Before it was like, they're doing well and adding more incremental business. But then the question is like, what can we really do to fundamentally help them survive? Yeah, that really informed our sort of like our product roadmap and the way we were partnering with restaurants. And now we're going beyond college campuses because of some of the lessons we've learned from the pandemic. You know, one problem we were solving is just like the contactless between the cashier, like the ordering in store. How do you handle that? How do you make it super smooth? So we were able to really kind of come in and and double down and help those restaurants. And then another problem was just like, hey, of course we need a digital solution, but man, DoorDash and Uber Eats are really jacking up the prices. And even if they're not, even if they're caps, like this is gonna be super expensive for the consumer. Like to offer a digital solution without being in a rock and a hard place, it's kind of like you're damned either way. And so that also made us realize like there's a lot to be done here. Like no one's just happy with the current state of restaurant technology. And they're all trying to create their own apps because they know they can't rely on the way the sort of aggregator ecosystem is working right now. That's not like the end state of things. It can't be. So yeah, So certainly COVID caused us to revisit some of our assumptions. And I think we're coming out with a much better value proposition for restaurants than we had before.
0: You mentioned expanding beyond college campuses. What does growth look like for you over the course of the next six months, 12 months, 24 months?
1: Yeah, we're expanding and we just kind of broke ground in a few markets, New York, LA, Austin, And we're going to continue to expand. And yeah, we've found that what we're really focused on is the restaurant profiles that immediately get what we're doing. And we know that ultimately that's where all restaurants will get what we're doing. But by focusing on the early adopters, we can scale at a faster clip and be less geographically bound than we were
0: before. You mentioned focus, and I think you've done a great job of staying in your lane. Your growth has been intentional, focused around your target audience. One of the things that you've said without saying it on the website, in the marketing materials, through the app, is this is my customer and this is not my customer, which is a hard choice to make as restaurateurs, We struggle with that because we want to serve everyone. And there's this old ideology that you should cater to the widest imaginable audience, which is certainly not the path you've taken. And in three years, you have, what, half a million users on platform and growing exponentially and you're what 25 26 27 27 focus is hard at any age but it's definitely hard in your 20s who keeps you focused do you have a group of mentors accountability how do you achieve this maniacal focus
1: certainly there have been times we're not focused so it's not like we're a paragon of focus we do have a lot of principles where we start with the customer need and work backwards like there's a lot of technologies. And also, we believe in creating the right product for the restaurant, not just whatever they ask for. I think there's a lot of restaurants who ask for a lot of stuff like, I don't know, just throwing out something like multi-store ordering thing. And they think that's what the customer wants. And maybe if they really believe that they can get it from another vendor. But we really want to focus on what we believe that the restaurant actually needs. But it's really funny to bring up the focus point. Like some restaurants will, like there's a better way to do things for like ninety nine. 0.9% of their customers, but then one out of a thousand customers like really wants to pay with cash or something, <laughs> and it's like okay, we can't make a better experience because we have to account for that exception. So I definitely see what you're saying, and yeah, it's it, like startups. There's like a different lesson there. So, but back to your question, like focusing on the customer need, like our core value proposition for the user is like save time, save money, and connect with friends. Like never really deviating from that, and saying no to a lot of restaurant kind of custom things that they need built because actually, maybe it'll work for them. But there's a sort of platonic restaurant customer that we're building for that we know there's a lot of them out there that it'll just be like a better prioritization of our limited resources.
0: Has it been at all collaborative with restaurants, though? Have you gained valuable insight from that relationship from those relationships?
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. And it's not like we ignore what they say. And yeah, I mean, a lot of our product roadmap is focused on like, hey, we're the new front end for the in-store experience, replacing the cashier. Here are all the things that we need to do that, uh, now that we don't have a, a POS anymore. So yeah, that's definitely a lot. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's like a little bit of gray area. Like when do we listen to them and when do we ignore their customer requests? We've kind of defined like that platonic restaurant of the future that we want to build towards. So it makes it a little bit easier.
0: How do you diagram the relationship in your mind? Because I think it's very clear to see when you look at, let's say, third party delivery, right, that their customer is the end user. It is the person with the app ordering the food at their house. And the restaurateur is just a cog in that machine that facilitates that food getting through for the Uber Eats of the world. The restaurant, though, that's who's paying them is not their customer. And so, my question to you is How do you diagram or envision the relationship in your mind between the users of the platform and your restaurant partners?
1: We see ourselves more like a platform instead of an aggregator. So, if you had to take an analogy like Shopify for online businesses or Substack for writers, we want our platform to be something that allows our restaurants to be more successful and get more LTV out of their customers as opposed to standardizing all the restaurants and having this base of incremental customers and then they pay like a big commission so yeah we definitely have a different approach there and honestly i think that's the right approach and the reason is not every industry does that approach make sense for example like bookings.com if you get a hotel on bookings.com if, if you you weren't going to go to that hotel like without bookings.com right and then the next time you go you're going to get another hotel but for restaurants like there's different studies different numbers here but like around half their orders come from repeat customers. So it doesn't make sense for them to pay a finder's fee to an aggregator. And then what's interesting is is this is the way kinda I, see, I see the industry. There was this temporary monopoly of the driver network that Uber Eats and DoorDash had, which allowed them to kind of migrate all the customers onto their platform. And I think that'll be sort of the situation for delivery. But then what about all these in-store customers? there's no way the restaurants are going to be like, oh yeah, I want them to all migrate to DoorDash too. They're paying for that rent, right? That local real for the distribution. This is distribution they're paying a premium for. They earn those customers. So kind of like by focusing on pickup, actually it allowed us to be more of a platform type company, right? It's like you have your distribution, like how do you make it much more streamlined and a better experience? So yeah, it's a great question. I think it kind of defines our, our company in a, in a sense.
0: You've got some big name investors: Kevin Hart's venture fund, the Jonas Brothers, a slew of professional athletes, Steve Aoki, as well as traditional VC funds like Andreessen Horowitz. How were you able to garner so much support from so many different types of investors?
1: Well, all those angel investors, there's a value add angle to them. So, for example, like David Grutman, he owns a bunch of restaurants in Miami. Steve Aoki owns a bunch of restaurants too and is involved a lot. So they're all actually very passionate about this space. Even the Jonas Brothers were kind of talking about some stadium stuff. So really excited to work with sort of that like level of celebrity, but it's also a sort of strategic alignment there. And yeah, they're just excited about what we're doing.
0: On a personal level, that has to be exciting, flattering. You came up with this in college and now there's this huge groundswell, half a million users, celebrity investors. How do you keep yourself... Grounded with all of the success that you've experienced?
1: Well, our company's slogan actually is like, or like our values is humble and hungry. Hungry in the sense that like we know there's a huge opportunity and we're all like super ambitious and here with a kind of a chip on our shoulder, like wanting to make something happen, but also humble in that we know we don't always have the right answer to everything. And no one has the right answer to everything, right? Business is super messy. It's not like a science doing something new. There's going to be mistakes. And then finding people we work with who have that team player, kind of humble mindset. So honestly, I like, think that's like kind of DNA of the company. And you're talking about it must be kind of awesome to work with these people. It really is. And it's so surreal. I'm just like standing outside the restaurant yesterday and kind of talking with some of the kind of, just hear people like, like, hey, you can just order this way. You just kind of hear people talking about it in the store. And then I go in and talk to the employees and ask them how they're doing. So I just love that. And then we're taking that and scaling it across the country. So it's so fun and surreal to be able to transform a big part of people's local businesses' lives and then definitely like a section of the consumer's life. It's really, really fun.
0: Now, I want to ask some specific questions for the restaurants that are listening that are interested in potentially participating on the platform. What is your revenue model?
1: Yeah, so we have a a per transaction fee. So we only make money when the restaurant makes money, but it's actually like more than one-tenth the cost of like a DoorDash or an Uber Eats. So yeah, I think we're like super aligned there in that, we're not going to charge like a high monthly cost that if you're not getting anything out of it, it's stuck with this overhead, but also as we grow, you're not like losing all your margin.
0: So yeah, that, that's our business model. What are the benefits to restaurants for being on platform? Do they get busier?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically our value proposition, we help streamline operations, save on labor costs and like more throughput, digitizing the in-store traffic and driving new and repeat business. The most obvious benefits is when you can just cut out like a huge cost or you can just process like two X the more orders. There was a one restaurant owner who sent us a message yesterday. He said, one of our employees called in and said, like, if it wasn't for snack pass, we would have had to just close yesterday. Like we were the reason we could open. But then on top of that with the marketing layer, we're like having your customers bring in their friends and order together. And we actually have even like metrics on the dashboard that show like the sort of like incremental
0: customer that
1: we bring. So yeah, I think it's really top of mind for a lot of restaurant operators.
0: What about customer data? Do restaurants get access to their customers' data?
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. And they get to use it and engage their customers far beyond the capability of maybe like their 3P delivery platform or their POS.
0: As a company, you have access to massive amounts of customer data. And I'm curious to know, when you look at it as a whole, what are the trends you're seeing in consumer demand that restaurant owners and operators would find interesting?
1: Yeah. So one study we did was we found that we transitioned a customer from paying with credit card to ordering on their phone. They ordered like four times more frequently per month. This was at an acai bowl place. It's actually not that crazy once you think about it. Like it takes like 30 minutes to make this acai bowl. It's really, but that's a tough thing to, to wait for, especially if you're on the way to class or on the way to work. But just by making it async ordering, right? Like you can just show up and it's ready. People are going to, the total cost, which includes the money, but also the time of eating out will go down and people will share eating habits from like eating like at home to eating out. And I think pickups is important because people get delivery, but the costs are so high and they're going to go up only more. So how do you make eating out, eating at restaurants, a even more meal share, right? You have 21 meals a day. Like How do you make it 50%, 60% 70% of a person's meal? Well, you got to decrease the cost too. So we're definitely helping with that.
0: Are there any underserved consumer demands that you see through the visibility you have on the platform?
1: I think healthy options, just huge unsatiated demand for and a very charged high premiums for it. People are willing to pay the same kind of convenience you get with like Chipotle, but like even more healthy.
0: You have hundreds of restaurants on the platform, and I would assume some do exceptionally well, while others less so. What are the commonalities that you've seen amongst the most successful restaurants on platform?
1: Well, they're all different, honestly. Like it could be a deli, it could be a boba place, a pizza restaurant. Relative you know, to
0: presentation, be- right? Like what's resonating with the consumer? Is it the quality of the copywriting, the quality of the photography, specific price points, hours of the day? I think there are so many variables that go into creating a banger.
1: You know, it's probably not the answer, like a super catchy answer, but like food is just so heterogeneous. Like in one market, there could be a restaurant with terrible pictures or no pictures and like kind of not really like super millennial or Gen Z marketing, but people love it and it's authentic. But in another restaurant, like in LA, you can have something that's like very chic and everything vegan, and that could do well. So it's just like so heterogeneous, right? Because like different cultures, different, it could be late night, it could be early. So I, I really think, believe it, it just matters on the market. And that's why restaurants are local, right? Because you're going to just have different flavors, different preferences, even within a market of like different segments. So I think it's very heterogeneous. You got to really know your local you know, customer base.
0: This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every show, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer?
1: Well, I think first of all, restaurant owners are the original content creators and you, you see that online, but restaurant owners are creating unique products, a unique following and, and it, uh, not a commodity, right? It's a special product. So I really think restaurant owners have that love and they can use the learnings of like online content creators or online stores and take those online learnings and bring it to their brick and mortar store. And that's gonna happen as we go offline to online. So I think they need to figure out a way to own their consumer, take advantage of the benefits of digital, which include like convenience and personalization. And then they'll really be able to thrive in the post COVID world.
0: That's Kevin Tan. For more on Snackpass, go to snackpass.co. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.